Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. My amazing wife, Linda, has taught me that we have cancer because every one of us is affected by it in some way. Survivors, family, friends, and medical and support team members. And we all have a story worth telling. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 155 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me. And I hope that you had an enjoyable Independence Day, 4th of July weekend, that you were able to stay safe and enjoy it, you know, as as best as we can, considering the current conditions. And one of the things that we, many of us enjoy doing this time of year is just getting outside. And we can't forget, especially those of us who are dealing with cancer, that how lethal melanoma is. And I'm in this episode, we're going to revisit my conversation from a year ago with Becca Pendarvis. Becca is a stage four melanoma survivor. And I really think the only intro to this episode that you need is how Becca updated both her Twitter and Instagram handles to what they currently are. No tan is worth dying for. I really think that says it all. It serves as a great intro to my conversation from 2019 with Becca Pendarvis. Becca, welcome to We Have Cancer. I I really appreciate you making the time to do this. And where I want to start with you is, you know, I found your video that was posted on YouTube like five years ago. And so many things resonated with me. Number one, fortunately, you and I are both in that stage four club. You're in New York, which is my hometown, and you are being treated at Sloan Kettering, and I've been treated there twice. But there was something you said in that video. You said how much you love New York, but how you have to show up. You have to be present when you're in New York. How do you juggle that while, you know, dealing with stage four cancer, you know, that being present and being part of such a vibrant, active city, you know, how do you balance that? So as you well know, New York doesn't stop for anybody and they will mow you down on the sidewalks <laughs> if you are taking your time. You know, I think New York inspired me and it, it, some people don't appreciate New York for the energy. I do. I actually receive energy from the city and from the people. And so it kept me going. And the fact is I just couldn't, I didn't have time as a single mom to a then nine-year-old to just curl up in a ball, put the covers over my head and just kind of you know, not be present. So it, the city gave a lot to me and the city is a very strong, strong place to be. It just motivated me to just keep going. Yeah. So many people say they love their hometown. They love their city. That's, that's, that's very common. But when you name your daughter Brooklyn and you're in New York, <laughs> that is true love for a city. What, 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 what was, what made you decide to name your daughter Brooklyn? That's a really easy answer. So my daughter was born two years after 9-11 and had some friends who made it through uh, but did lose a friend on 9-11, 
had a lot of guys from the neighborhood in Brooklyn um, off Ocean Ave who, who perished, all FDNY. And as I was thinking about what name to give my daughter, I wanted it to be a really strong name. I wanted 9-11 to have um, some meaning for her, even though she wouldn't have lived through it and she would, you know, not have been born yet. But I wanted her to understand the significance and to just know that she can always overcome really anything. And, you know, to just to feel proud and to feel that she has some some strong, a strong borough behind her name, a beautiful bridge behind her name. Just, you know, it's a great, great great town and I love it so much. It reminds me of one of my favorite songs. I'm a big fan of the Avid Brothers. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Oh, come you on. You know the song, <laughs> I in love with you. Oh, well. Brooklyn, Brooklyn, you know? take me in. Uh, just me makes in. me cry every time I hear that song. Just something about it. So we were talking before we started recording and, and I think we both kind of came to the realization that every cancer has its misunderstanding Many cancers have its embarrassment factor, especially, you know, with, with what I'm dealing with, with colorectal cancer. Mm-hmm. At one time, breast cancer was that, I think, less so now. Talk to me mm-hmm. about the misunderstandings about melanoma. Sure. Um, I was actually part of that misunderstanding 30 years ago when I was lifeguarding. We would use baby oil and iodine to try to get as dark as possible. And other lifeguards and myself, we would joke and say, we'll share a wing at the cancer hospital and, you know, we'll we'll just have it cut off, whatever, you know, skin cancer we might get. And we didn't even think it would be serious or deadly, not even deadly. It didn't show up for us that what we were doing could possibly have you know, major repercussions. And so when I was diagnosed with stage one, it was a primary mole on my back. It went rogue. It was, you know, it met the ABCD of melanoma. And I thought, okay, it's innocuous. They're going to cut it out, clear my margins. I'm going to be good to go. And then six years later, I was having an x-ray and a you know, major tumor showed up in my right lung. And they told me I had stage four melanoma in my lungs. And as I was telling people this, people could not understand, oh, you have lung cancer. And I said, no, I have melanoma in my lungs. How did it get there? The sun doesn't shine in your lungs. And, you know, good questions, I understood. But as I've been educating people and helping them to know that, you know, something, it takes just one cell, one melanoma cell to just get into your bloodstream, circulate, hang out for a bit, and then start a tumor. And that's why people, you know, we have a person dying every hour in America for melanoma. It's very serious. So Becca, you mentioned ABCDE as it relates to skin cancer. Tell our listeners what that means. Yeah, absolutely. So you would think that five letters in the alphabet could not really help you detect cancer, but that that wouldn't be the case. So with melanoma, with skin cancer, what you're looking for is A, asymmetrical, B, borders, C, color or colors, D, diameter, is it changing, is it growing, and E, your edges. And so you ideally would like your moles to be small, flat, one color, perfectly rounded, 
You don't want your mole to look like it is an egg in a frying pan. You don't want it to look like it has two or three colors to it. And when it does, you need to get yourself to a dermatologist as soon as possible. And it's, as, as, you're, as you've proven, just those simple five things can oftentimes make a make a big difference between you know something uh benign and something very very serious it's so true and people think that they don't have time to go to a dermatologist or they don't have time to go to a preventive you know checkup and i say to them then you really don't have time to sit and have chemo you don't have time to sit and go to an oncologist appointment then you know it's just it's just an ounce of prevention right i mean just take that time and and go get yourself checked out. So tell us, what's the status of your health right now? Well, uh, 73 months ago, I was told that I wouldn't be here right now. I was given 9 to 18 months to live. And I thought that really didn't sound acceptable, in my opinion. I needed to stay here and hang out and be a tour guide for my daughter, who's almost 16 years old. I have scans every four months at Sloan Kettering, and they are good they are clean i don't know how many of your listeners know what ned is ned (laughs) yes yes ned no evidence of disease and so that's really where i'm at right now and i appreciate every single clean clear good scan that comes back well i'm hoping to join that ned club someday with you believe me we need you there and and i'm so excited for you because like i said as as i was listening to that video that i saw posted online five years ago in early 2014 you were very very seriously talking about that there was a high likelihood that that was going to be the last christmas holiday you'd spend with your daughter and here we are five years later and you're Ned. So that how exciting for you. It really is. What yeah. tell us about the treatment that you had to go through? So much treatment. Unbelievable. When I think back to it, it's just I don't even know how I kind of made it through. I guess you just have to do what you have to do. But so, you know, one of the things that was fun, I guess can I use that term with cancer, sure. You know, we're in an exciting time with cancer and how different it is to be diagnosed now versus 10 years ago even. So what they did with my tumor is they took some and they sent it off to Gentech in California. They did next generation DNA sequencing, which is something I had never heard of prior to this. They found out that I had a mutation. I am BRAF positive. And if you are BRAF positive in the melanoma community, that means you are eligible for a immunotherapy. You know, what we're figuring out now is one size does not fit all for chemotherapy. And so what, the, what my course of treatment was, was I started with Zalbaraf. And that was like maybe three Mack trucks running my body over. I couldn't get myself out of the shower. I couldn't button my, my blouses. My daughter had to help me up and down subway stairs. It was a tough time, but it shrank that tumor, and that's what we were after. And so we did uh, Eurovoy, Ipilimumab after that, and that really, uh, that was... That was super, you know, hard on my body. It actually knocked out my pituitary gland. Um, I didn't know that I appreciated having a pituitary gland until I didn't have it anymore. And come to find out it's kind of drill master for your body and it tells you, you know, your eyes to make tears and it, you know, your thyroid and a lot of things. And so I'm on replacement thyroid meds for that. 
and then we moved on to Tafenlar, and my body just absolutely rejected Tafenlar from the jump. Dr. Chapman over at Sloan decided to take me off Tafenlar within probably 40 hours, and we moved back to Zelbraff, and the whole idea is to shrink that tumor. And my, my largest tumor uh, was in my middle lobe, right lung, and the goal was to shrink it enough that a thoracic would come on board and feel comfortable enough to remove that entire lobe. And I was so sick with my chemo. Just, you know, it's, it's not something you would wish for anybody, as you well know. It, it's such a difficult, difficult time. Um, but we ended up having to make the decision to move to Kansas, where I'm from originally where we have a wide support network of family and friends and just did that for two reasons. One, that I could rest, you know, you can't rest much here in New York, <laughs> and that I could rest in Kansas and that my daughter would be taken care of with all of our family and friends. And, and so I hopped on with KU Med in Kansas City, got on with Gary Doolittle, who is the Patch Adams of the medical world in Kansas City. He, he is not... He is not just a doctor, he is a cancer survivor himself. He is a advocate, he is a patient, he is, he is a friend. I, I wish that every doctor could study under Gary Doolittle. Um, they would be well served. And he just, he told me, he said, we're gonna be aggressive and you're not gonna like me too much, but we're gonna get this thing shrunk enough, the thoracic will you know, get in here and do a lung lobectomy. And so we did, and did that in January of 14, 2014. And I miss it when I'm climbing stairs. I miss that extra lobe. Mm. <laughs> I didn't think, I, think I'd miss it too uh -huh. much. But when I was in Colorado and the altitude, I sure missed it a lot. But uh, then from there, we went back to Zelbaraf and then finally to Mechanist. And Mechanist is an uh, immunotherapy. Is any of that similar to what uh, President Carter went through, do you know? Because uh, there was conversation that he went through an immunotherapy and had, you know, the results like you did. Absolutely. From what I understand, I think he might have done Opdivo. Yes. I haven't had to do Opdivo yes. yet. Um, a lot of my melahomies, that's what we call each other <laughs> in the melanoma community, they have done Opdivo. So I've heard wonderful things about it. And I understand that if my cancer would make a return, that Opdivo would be what I was looking at. So. I see. Be sure to stick around to the end of this episode to learn how you can get your rear in gear. You speak so much about your daughter, Brooklyn. How has what you've been through impacted her? It's been unbelievably hard on her. I think that oftentimes you've heard, I'm sure everybody's heard this line, kids are so resilient. And I would like to tell you I beg to differ. I think that that is maybe something that makes people feel good to say. I think there's not much truth in that in important things like, like cancer. It's only been the two of us from the beginning. And so you can imagine we're quite a duo. And when one of our duo is, you know, not to be dramatic, but fighting for their life, um, the other person can only feel and absorb everything that's going on. And I, I, I think that I placated myself to think, oh, she's nine, she's, you know, she's 
she's fine, she's got all these friends, and we have all these people who love us, and, um, and I didn't realize even until two years ago when we chatted about the anxiety that she has, the depression that she has, she, you know, she was, and she had every right to be afraid that I was going to die. And I remember three separate days uh, in Kansas thinking that that was going to be my last day. And then I would look at her face and I would think, I just have to keep fighting. And, you know, it's, it's something that I, I just, I just didn't know at the time how hard it was on her. And I understand that now. And I have two nephews who just lost their father to melanoma. Um, it'll be two years on May 2nd. And the boys are now starting to go through what my daughter went through, uh, you know, but they've lost their dad. And, and their mom had, my sister had breast cancer. And so they've, they've really gone through it, right? And, you know, but there is, um, there is if, I, if I can, plug Camp Kesem. I don't know if you've heard about that, Lee. It rings a bell. Keep going. Yes. Sure. So what a wonderful community this is. Camp Kesem is located at various college campuses uh, throughout America, and they host children who have either lost a parent from cancer or who have a parent who is fighting cancer. Free, no charge whatsoever, ages 6 to 16. And it is a time where the kids can just be kids. Uh, they are with other people who have gone through what they've gone through, but there's not a compelling need to discuss it if they don't want to. It's just a time to relax and not worry about you know how your parents feeling or what they're going through and um, I can't I can't speak about Camp Kesem highly enough. Um, it was Dr. Doolittle at KU Med who told me about told me about Kesem, and that's really helped Brooklyn a lot. Even after camp, they have reunions in the spring and fall, and they you know send her notes of encouragement throughout the school year about her you know how she's doing in school and what is she up to and you know so it's. For anybody out there who, who does have children or grandchildren or neighbor kids who have somebody, you know, a parent, caregiver fighting cancer, this I would highly recommend Camp Chasm. I'll be sure to share the link to Camp Chasm if, if people want more information uh, in the show notes for this episode at wehavecancershow.com so people can research that further. So right. you also said something that just really touched me about Brooklyn, and it was that even if she wasn't my daughter, I'd still, I'd want to be friends with her. And, and that was just so powerful. Uh, you know, hearing that it's been the, the two of you from the beginning. What a, what a, what a statement of love. What a statement of love. Thank you. I just want to clarify that I said that when, before she was a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. <laughs> I kid, but kind of, you know, no, she's, she's just such a cool person. And, you know, sometimes I'll see her interact with other people and we'll be, you know, wherever we are in the city and I'll, and I'll just kind of see her and I'll just think, man, like that's a cool kid, you know, and, and, and she's very uh, intuitive and very wise and, and yet still a teenager, you know, so she keeps me on my toes. But no, I would, I would want to be her friend. And now is the time to balance, you know, being a parent 
and you know this isn't the time to really be a friend mm -hmm. but uh, we're gonna get there you know that's what 20s and 30s and 40s are for so how do you look at the world differently now that you know you've had this experience with cancer I do not take it for granted and I was so afraid that I would start to take things for granted again um, you really boy don't you uh, you you learn not to sweat the small stuff and I know that's such a cliche but life is so short and sometimes it is way too short for a lot of people and I just think you know why why stress about stuff that in one week is really not going to matter, right? And um, I, I love harder. I, I do, I think I always did a good job, but I think I do a better job now of letting people know how much they mean to me and uh, really communicating with people about, you know, their importance in my life and what, uh, how they make my life better. So, yeah, I don't take it for granted. You may not see in New York what I see in Florida, but uh, if you had come down to, to visit us and you see these signs in these strip malls for tanning salons, oh. what, what's your reaction? <laughs> it's visceral. Um, if I could get away with it, <laughs> I, woo, there's some things I would do. Um, but I would be on the evening news. No, so tanning beds, tanning salons anger me. I, they, they, they pull up this rage inside myself when people say that they're safe. I was told this. I would, oh, we, I really devoted a lot of time and money into getting as dark as anybody could possibly imagine, you know, if, me being, it was, um, it was a mission in my life to be dark. And I would put little stickers on myself so I could see how much darker I got every tanning session. Wow. And yeah, oh yeah, it was it was competition for me. And so, you know, and, and I would book these beds, tanning beds, and and I would pay extra money because they would assure me that these are UV blocking rays in these tanning beds. And I would like to say hogwash to that. Um, there's no such thing as a safe tanning bed. I refer to them as coffins. I, I call them tanning coffins. I think that they should be outlawed. I think if they shouldn't be outlawed, that they should at least be illegal for anybody under 21 years old. Um, it, there's no reason, especially now that there's this, you know, airbrushing or whatever, you know, people can go and, I don't spray, know, what, spray, spray tan. tanning. Yeah. Uh -huh. Now uh -huh. that there's spray tans, why would you ever subject your body to all of that? Why, I don't, you know, but yeah, so um, I'm not a fan. Uh, even though I was a tremendous fan back in the day, my boyfriend and I would have dates to the tanning salon. It was very romantic, as you can imagine. <laughs> you know, it just, it was such a part of my life. It, and I didn't ever consider that what I was doing was not healthy or bad, you know, for me. But the statistics are what they are. And the fact of the matter is, if, if you tan under 25 years old in a tanning bed more than twice in your life you have doubled your risk for melanoma who would want who would want to even take those chances you know it's and but they're not going to tell you that they are not going to tell you that so yeah not a fan talk to me a little bit about what you do to raise awareness about melanoma 
I try really hard to advocate and to tell people, um, you know, using social media platforms especially. I've been invited to be a keynote speaker at Camp Cousin Columbia University here in New York City in a couple of weeks. I just want to keep sharing that tanning is not safe, that tanning has, you know, deadly repercussions to it. And, you know, I oftentimes post either pictures or insightful graphs that will help people understand, you know, about especially sunburns. Like as a little child, I remember we'd go to Florida every year and like I was red as a lobster. And my, you know, my skin underneath my swimsuit was pure white and, and I would get these blistering sun, you know, sunburn you know, on my shoulders and my, my nose and my forehead, and they'd have water blisters. I was, I was that burnt from the sun. And, you know, your, your risk of having, if you have three, you know, deep sunburns as a child, you have a 75% chance of melanoma, 75%. And that's why it's so important to put sunscreen on your kids, to use, there's even, you know, now they have like swimsuits that have some UV blocking, you know, fibers to them and, you know, to reapply and, you know, and I really avoid being out in the sun between 11 and 4, 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. I schedule my day around it. I schedule my errands around it. I schedule being out in the ocean around it. You know, it's, it's a whole new lifestyle <laughs> once you have stage four cancer, especially from melanoma. So even being in the Northeast, not in a sunshine state like I am, you schedule your day as much as possible to avoid the sun. I absolutely do, 100%. Wow. And I do it with my daughter, too. You know, it's just I'm not going to take that risk. I mean, of course we go out, right? We can't help it. We have, you know, school and we have work and we have things that we have to get done. But we will have big floppy hats on. We will have UV blocking glasses on, sunglasses. We will have, you know, sunscreen on. We will have clothing on. I oftentimes carry an umbrella when there's no chance of rain. I'm not even going to give melanoma one more door to my body about this. You know, like, I just, I don't feel like I can be careful enough when it comes to this. You shared some amazing tips and some lessons. And I know that if even one person, you know, learns something and changes their behavior from you sharing your story, uh, it would make all the difference, wouldn't it? That's really all I can ask at this point. Just if, if one person sees a spot on themselves or somebody they love and just goes to the dermatologist, like that would make me eternally happy. Well, I have a pretty strong feeling that at least one person is going to listen to this and, and do something that perhaps they hadn't thought to do in the past. So for that, I'm eternally grateful. And I'm so glad that we got connected and that you uh, have the distinction of being my first uh, melanoma uh, patient and survivor on We Have Cancer. And you've shared truly some life-saving tips. Thank so, you. So, Becca, thank you so much. Uh, I wish you and Brooklyn just nothing but the best. Uh, continued good, clean scans. Of course, uh, save a spot for me in the NED club, please. And you just keep going and doing what you're you're doing. And it's just been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Lee. And, be, and thanks for well. having this podcast. This is such an important, important topic. So take care. Be well, my friend. All right. Talk to you later. 
Many nonprofit organizations are struggling with fundraising at this time because of quarantine. You know, many of these organizations rely on events, whether they're dinners or 5K runs and walks and these things. And the Colon Cancer Coalition is no different. So I hope you will join me. I donated to them, and I hope that you will do the same by visiting the coloncancercoalition.org forward slash events and find a virtual event and help support this wonderful organization that is working so hard to eliminate colon cancer as one of the leading causes of death in this country. I've supported them. I hope you'll join me in doing the same. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to our sponsor, the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. You can subscribe to We Have Cancer by visiting Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or Spotify. And you can find us on social media by visiting our Facebook page at We Have Cancer Show and at We Have Cancer Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. We Have Cancer is a proud supporter of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer.